So you don't trust the stock market, but you still want to invest and make money for the future. What do you do? That's what we'll talk about today on Adulting. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to this week's episode of Adulting. I am Miranda Marquette, and I am here with Harlan Landis. How are you today, Harlan? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing pretty well also. Good to hear. Yeah, and I'm excited for the subject because after you've been through a couple of stock market crashes, and that's something that we have both experienced in our lifetimes, two stock market crashes, it's hard to get excited about this idea of putting money in, in stocks. In fact, a recent bank rate survey indicated that 54% of millennials aren't investing. They're just very concerned about it. It's something that they don't want to do. So how are you going to build wealth if you don't believe in the stock market? And then that's kind of a question we're going to look at today because it is kind of hard to get excited about it. So Harlan, what are some of the reasons that people don't trust the stock market? Well, like you said, Miranda, I think the fact that the crashes have been so common or not really so common, it's just that we hear about them a lot. Whenever there's a problem in the stock market, problem with companies, problem with the companies that you invest in when you talk about the stock market, it gets a lot of press and there's a lot of hatred for Wall Street out there right now. A lot of mistrust. And we see these stories about people who run banks on Wall Street going to jail or being indicted or being accused of scamming and scheming and doing what they can to make off with their customers and investors' money. So there's a good reason people don't believe or trust the stock market. It seems like it's riddled with people who just do bad things. And in the long term, there's, you know, there's the impression that in the long term, people end up losing out. And there is a lot of truth to this. And you can't deny that there are people on Wall Street who act in bad faith and do things that are going to harm investors. And they're, and they're making lots of money while doing it. The stock market itself is kind of set up against small investors. Yes, we can have access without a lot of money to stocks and index funds. But preferential treatment, those who are getting the best deals are those who make large investments in companies. And uh, small investors can't afford to do that. We watch Warren Buffett, let's say, a famous investor. We see every move he makes. We see where he trades and the companies he buys. And we think that, well, let's just follow in Warren Buffett's footsteps and we must do pretty well. But hey, Warren Buffett invests a lot of money and he gets some pretty sweet deals. He's not buying normal shares like regular investors are buying in the stock market. So yeah, that, that certainly leads to the idea that the average investor, the regular person who wants to save money for retirement is not going to do as well as uh, people say stock market does. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. A lot of the time we get caught up in this idea that investing in the stock market means picking stocks, trying to be like Warren Buffett, when that it's not really what it's about. But it does make it feel like it's set up against 
uh, small investors. And then the other thing you run into, of course, is not just scams in terms of like big Wall Street brokers, but you know, we hear about smaller scams that are a little bit closer to home where people come to communities and, and talk about these investment opportunities that really are a little more than scams. And so it's kind of difficult to overcome this. But the problem is, is you have to invest in something. If all you do is put your money in a savings account and your FDIC protected, that's not going to be enough to build wealth over time unless you're putting like a ton of money in those savings account each month. And most of us can't. And so for most of us, in order to actually build wealth over time, you need to invest in something. Yeah, you do. And that's in addition to working and earning money and doing what you need to do. And the, the idea of just putting your money into something and for some passive investing scheme to work over the long term is, is not a solid plan for the future. You've got to invest in something. And I still say, as much as people distrust or hate the stock market, it's a game that you have to play. But we're, we're going to talk about different things that you can invest in. But even the things that we're talking about should be part of an overall investing strategy. None of the things, not one of them, should be the only thing you invest in. And I think a lot of people today are looking at real estate and saying, well, I'm just going to put my money in real estate because real estate always goes up. So that'll never be a problem. I'm going to buy properties. But that has its own problems as well. Yeah. And I think one thing to remember as we start getting into this is part of investing and part of building wealth and part of moving forward is making sure that you have income diversity, right? You have income from different sources because just relying on your job alone is also has its own kind of risk. What if you get fired? That kind of thing. And the reality is that uh, you want to be ready so that if something fails, you've at least got another backup source of income or, or resources that you can fall back on. Yeah, and we, we all hope that the loss of a job is just temporary and that you'll find work soon and continue to build income, but it helps to have different types of income coming in. I know, though, that that can be very difficult to do when you have a lot of other responsibilities in your life. If you have children, finding a second job, that might not work out so well for you. Or sometimes it's finding that third job or a fourth job. You know, there are difficulties in all of the options, all of the things that we're going to talk about today. But you have to figure out what's going to work for you, what's going to work with your lifestyle, and where you might have to change your lifestyle in order to satisfy some of the things that we're talking about. Especially if your distrust of the stock market is so much that you have to find other things to replace that portion, that, that really strong portion of your investment portfolio. Let's go ahead. You mentioned real estate. So let's go ahead and start with real estate. You know, you did mention a lot of people like the idea of real estate. You know, I know a lot of people around me that are really into real estate and being a landlord. And rental income can be one way to keep money coming in. After all, my landlord is enjoying money coming in from me. And so that can be one way to keep things coming in. But in order to make that work, you have to be the type of person that does work well with managing people, dealing with landlord issues, or you have to be willing to pay somebody else to manage your properties. So that's that definitely comes with its own hazards to overcome. Yeah, the bottom line is that being a landlord is a whole lot of work. And if it's not a whole lot of work for you, then it's a whole lot of expense for you because you're paying someone else to do all that work. Now, I know that 
a lot of people have had a lot of success with landlord with landlording and using real estate as an investment and i think it can be great you just have to be willing to get to the point where you have a lot of volume and you know the the people who are most successful are those who make landlording and dealing with real estate their primary function in life uh, other than you know perhaps uh, non-work things but for work but for the work that they do it really becomes their entire life and if they're not managing properties then they're looking for other investments or they're looking for ways to fix up their investments or they're looking to sell properties it's definitely a lifestyle and just like investing in the stock market if you're the little guy it's not going to be set up well for you the bigger you get in real estate the more properties you have then the more leverage you have the more you're wanted as an investor and uh, things will look better for you but it's a lot of work to get to that point. Actually, I knew some people a few years ago, just during the crash, right? Just before the real estate crash of 2008, well, 2007 to 2009, it was kind of this long real estate mortgage crash. You know, just before that, they thought it would be an awesome idea to like buy a house and fix it up and flip it, right? The house flipping is another way that lots of people like to make money in real estate is, is by flipping houses. And the problem with that is that it can get really expensive because you have to be able to fix it up. If you hire somebody else to be a general contractor and take care of getting the house in proper condition, then it's going to cut into your profits. But it, on the other hand, if you try and do it yourself, you need to make sure you can bring it up to code, you can bring it up to whatever you're looking for. Because the whole point of flipping a house, of course, is that you buy it cheap and in terrible condition, fix it up and then sell it for more and sell it at a profit. Unfortunately for the folks that I knew, it didn't work out very well for them because they bought the house, it took them longer than expected and cost more than they expected. And by the time they were ready to actually flip it, things had already started going south and they ended up having to turn themselves into landlords, which is not what they wanted to do because they wouldn't have been able to sell it for the, you know, for a profit because of the way real estate prices in their area were, were plunging. So that's something to think about too. Flipping houses is maybe not the answer. You really need to know what you're doing before you get started. Yeah. You, you mentioned a few things in there that are probably worth talking about a little bit more. First of all, it's always going to take longer and cost more than you expect. And the costs in real estate, which seem to never be figured in um, when people talk about the profits that make when they buy and sell houses, they forget to, that all the costs should be deducted from the whole cost basis type of thing. And you never profit as much as the, pa the paper makes it look like you profit, uh, which has always bugged me about people talking about how much they make in real estate. But also... The whole issue with timing is if you, as someone who's never invested in real estate before, look around and you say, wow, the timing seems to be perfect for me to get into real estate right now. Chances are good that that is the absolute worst time for you to get into real estate. And I remember before the crash of 2000, so, you know, a long time ago, when all of my friends who were out of college at the time, they were like figuring out what to do with their lives and they were starting to have money and they never had money before. And they're like, I've got to buy a house. I've got to get involved in real estate. I've got to invest in real estate. I've got to do this right now because real estate will never go down and it's a great investment. And every single one of those people regretted that decision within two years because they were 
stuck and you know they they couldn't get out of these investments that they've made they had huge mortgages because they were leveraged they had a lot of debt so that they could afford these things because coming right out of college they didn't have any savings and they qualified for mortgages based on their income well you know the market crashed just the uh, real estate market crashed maybe they lost their jobs and that income's not there and suddenly they can't deal with these mortgages and of course that happened all over again just a few years later and and right before that like miranda said people forgot history and they felt like this is a great time everybody's doing great in real estate i've got to get in this too and if you're thinking that right now then chances are we're headed to some dangerous times when it comes to mortgages and real estate hopefully not hopefully not hopefully we're not there if you're feeling that this is a great time to do it chances are that it's the absolute worst time so don't get involved in timing the market whether it's stock markets or the real estate market yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you, you have to really have a long-term plan to get involved and really be aware of, of what, what goes into it. And speaking of having a long-term plan and being aware of what goes into it, another good way to invest that doesn't necessarily involve the stock market is starting a business. There are lots of online and offline ideas. Today, almost anybody can start a business or at the very least, even if they're not starting a business, at least make some money online. So yeah, so that's just, that's one of the options as well. But once again, like everything else, you do need to do a little research, figure out what's going to work best for you and realize that it can take some time before you actually start making money. Yeah, so just thinking about some of the businesses that I see some of my younger friends going through right now. One is selling health drinks and other natural items, um, kind of like a, um, it's a business where basically it's a multi-level marketing scheme, but they put these together so it makes it feel like it's a business that you're starting and that you own your own business. Uh, it's not really a great way to make money unless you're really, really good at selling things to your friends. And even if that's the case, there's only so far you can really go with it. I like the idea, you know, of, well, well what worked for me was and it wasn't even the plan at first was starting a blog. I started at a time when you couldn't even make money with blogs, but it turned into a business because it gained a big audience. Advertisers were interested. And then once you kind of got that going, kind of uh, everything worked out. A lot of people are saying you should start a blog right now and earn lots of money. And I, I just worry about this idea that we're saying that starting a business is a great way to make money. And it's a great way to lose money, too. So there's a lot of risk in this. Hopefully you can find something that works with your interests that doesn't require a lot of risk so that you can start it while you're not taking anything away from anything else in your life. It's going to be possible to make a lot of money and to, to make things work out for yourself if you own your own business, if you run your own business and if you find a way to make money. It doesn't always work out for everybody in the first try, though. So you've got to have that in mind as you go forward with it. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. I think a lot of it has to be, you know, some expectations here. A lot of people I know too are interested in investing in businesses rather than starting their own. So they'll they'll find a business to invest in. This can be okay, but at the same time, kind of like we were talking about before, you kind of need a lot of money to do that unless you're willing to go to these new crowdfunding sites and then look for small to medium-sized businesses that are looking for fundraising. 
But the problem with these crowdfunding sites is that much like P2P lending or other types of, of these investments, you still run the risk of losing. Just because it's not the stock market doesn't mean that it's a safe investment. Any investment carries the risk of loss, whether it's real estate, whether it's the business you start, whether it's a business you invest in, no matter what it is, you run the risk of loss. And so investing in a business can be one way to feel better about it because you're not in the stock market and you're investing with these people directly. But at the same time, you have to realize that you know if something happens and their business doesn't turn a profit or it doesn't get the cash flow they're looking for, you may not get paid back. Yeah, investing in businesses directly is a risky proposition. When you invest in a business or a company through the stock market, you know that they have uh, reporting requirements and that there is a lot of governance involved and there are a lot of regulations that they have to deal with. And it gives you an added level, not necessarily protection, but of safety, of, of feeling that you, you have the confidence that the company is going to be governed well. You know that they have a board of directors, you know that they report to entities that oversee the business that they're in. Investing directly in a startup, especially through like a crowdfunding thing, if you're a major investor in a company and you go privately to someone, they come to you and you invest in them. If you're a major investor, then you should have some oversight in the way things are run so that you know that your money is managed well. If you're going through a crowdfunding site, you aren't really afforded a lot of that same type of privilege. So it's we talked about Warren Buffett before. The one benefit that he has is that he will invest a lot of money into a company and then he'll be put on the board or he'll have some kind of oversight or his company will have some kind of oversight or his people will have some kind of oversight so that they are sure that their money, their investment is being taken care of properly. Now, of course, as an investor, you're entitled to all sorts of reports on companies. But if it's a friend of yours who's starting up a business and says, hey, I need $1,000, I need $5,000, and I can get this off the ground, I need, you know, $50,000, you know, how are you going to be involved in that company? And what is going to be your share of what the company profits? I think that's a good question, too. And it's all things that you need to talk about if you are talking about investing in, uh, in a company um, on the private level. And kind of along with that as well, when we're talking about investing in companies, you know, a lot of people talked about person to person lending a few years ago. This was like a big deal a few years ago. The micro loans, right? Using Lending Club and Prosper. And, and if you wanted to be socially responsible, looking at Grameen Bank or Kiva.org and making these micro loans to people, you know, in, in increments of $25. And using it as a way to kind of invest in your peers, right? And then they'd, they'd use the money and then they'd pay you back and you'd get interest. And this is something that actually I do. I do have a lending club account, full disclosure. I do use this as one of my, you know, it's, but it's a very small part of my portfolio. And I have had a couple of loans written off, right? So I have, overall, I'm ahead. Overall, I, I have enough invested in this that a couple of loans, a couple of notes written off isn't a huge deal as far as my portfolio is concerned. And like I said, it's still profitable for me to use P2P lending. But it still comes with this risk if they don't pay back. And you do have to take the time to go through, read the stories of these folks, 
look at their credit rating and, and kind of see if you're willing to take that chance on them. Yeah. And as we're talking about person to person, we need to think about liquidity as well. Liquidity is how quickly you can get your money back from an investment if you need it. Obviously, if you put your money in the bank in a savings account, I shouldn't say obviously, you can get that money back right away. You can go to the bank and leave the bank with cash. You can go to the ATM and leave with cash your money that you have invested in the bank account. With the stock market, you can get your money back because those stocks are all traded so frequently that whatever you put in is almost always immediately available. Now, it might take a day or two for it to transfer from your investment. You have to sell those investments, and then you have to get them into a bank account that you can access with an ATM, or you go to the bank and get your cash, or you have them send you a check, which takes even longer. So liquidity is generally pretty reasonable in the stock market, but it's not great for anything you need in an emergency. A lot of the things we're talking about here in terms of alternative investments, whether it's real estate or investing in a business, in your friend's business, you will find that it's going to be difficult if you give your friend $1,000 to invest in his company. You go to him and say, listen, I really need that $1,000 plus any interest back right now. Chances are he's going to say, well, it's not available right now. I can you know, maybe get it back to you in three months or maybe in a year or maybe you have to wait until he says it's there or maybe it'll never be there person to person lending is very similar in that you don't these are these are generally loans so in order to get your money back you have to call the loans and i think that they've made it a little more liquid in the past few years miranda since you do this you probably know (laughs) they've got some things set up now where you can invest in a bigger portfolio they're working on securitizing some of the debt to make it a little more liquid but if you're just going to stick with the old model of i'm going to do this 25 increment $20 increment, get this individual note, add it to my portfolio, then no, it's not going to be very liquid because you are going to have to wait till they start paying you back. And you can't really just like call the loan. It's not going to happen. So this liquidity issue is something you have to think about no matter what you're doing. And it's especially difficult with real estate, kind of going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. There are very few things that are as illiquid as real estate. You can't just unload a house for the most part. And when you do, I mean, when I sold my home in 2007, no, we bought it in 2007. When I sold it seven years later in 2014, we had to leave quickly, right? We were we suddenly had a job offer across the country. We had to move across the country. We needed to get it moved fast. And as a result, we sold it for less than we would have wanted to. And I actually had to pay $12,000 to get it off my hands. So that's something to think about too, is that, you know, some of these things that depending on the circumstances, they might change. And if you need or are in a position where you want to unload something quickly, you might be in a position where you have to accept a loss or uh, a smaller profit than you would like uh, just to, and then there are some cases where you just can't, can't do it at all. Like if you are investing in a business, if you're investing in an MLLP, you can't just unload it, your shares. You can't just get rid of it when you're ready. You know, those things are very illiquid. So that's something that you need to think about as well. That's a very good point, Harlan. Speaking of liquid, 
How about some solids? Metals, gold, silver. I see a lot about this, especially as people seem to be freaking out about the state of the world and war and everything else that could be possibly happening. The apocalypse, who knows what else. There are people out there who are saying, oh, the only investing I'll ever do is gold because it's the only thing that has a real value. And personally, I don't agree with any of this. I think that's ridiculous. There's there's no intrinsic value in anything. All value is extrinsic. But is gold something that we should invest in um, instead of the stock market? What do you think, Miranda? I am the wrong person to ask because I agree with you there. But you know, I know a lot of people feel more comfortable having that physical thing they can point to and say, hey, this is physical wealth. And if they can't afford gold, they like the idea of purchasing silver because it's so much less expensive. But the problem that you run into, and and a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, well, I have gold because if the economy crashes, then I have wealth. And I'm like, if the economy crashes, who is going to be able to afford your gold? Like who is going to accept your gold? You can't eat it. You can't dress yourself with it. If the economy actually crashes... And we are in that situation. I have more faith in my fishing tackle and the fact that I do have a nice place out back for a garden and the fact that I have food storage that I'm worried about whether I have a stockpile of gold. Because you can come to me and say, hey, I want to buy some of your food storage. And I'm like, and you have gold? No. If you've got some clothes, then that's one thing. Or if you can trade me some blankets, that's great. But the gold is basically useless. I mean, and, and, and we're not real. going to get to the point where we're bartering for things in this society. Yes, the economy might crash again. In fact, it's almost guaranteed to go through another crash at some point. It has not got in, in any of the crashes. I mean, even going back to the Depression, yes, there were some who found it that they needed to barter in order to get with, you know, in in order to survive. But I don't think that we are going to see that happening in any modern economic crash going forward. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. I don't want to scare our listeners into thinking they've got to go into survivalist mode. They have to make sure that they have food storage and gardens and they'll be able to be self-sufficient. I don't think that is ever going to be an issue for us. And I'm hoping I don't eat those words, but I think that's a little bit of a nightmare scenario that it's it's unlikely to happen for most going forward in, in modern society. As, as difficult as things might get, we're not going to be at that level where we're bartering to survive. I get the appeal of these, these physical, tangible things that you can hold in your hand. Uh, you can hold them in your hand. You, you can look at them and you can say, hey, yes, this is this is great. You know, if you want to put a small percentage of your portfolio in that, you know, I've talked to some investment experts and most of them say, you know, between 5 to 10% of your portfolio in precious metals is not the end of the world. So it's not the end of the world, but it's not something that I would try and put in there as uh, as like your main investing strategy. Some of the other interesting things that are coming up, right, is right now, cryptocurrencies are all the rage, right? Bitcoin is... Bitcoin, if you try and, you know, getting Bitcoin on an exchange is like, it's like 4,000 bucks. Let me double check that to make sure I'm not like, I'm pretty sure it's pretty, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's 4,000, it's more than $4,000 right now. So, 
you know, you got to think about that, you know, I mean, or we're, we're, we're moving into bubble territory with Bitcoin. A lot of people are now saying, oh, well, Bitcoin's too expensive. Let's do Ethereum. Let's do Litecoin. Let's do Dash. Let's do Ripple. And it's an interesting interesting as a medium of exchange, but as an investment, I don't know. I'm a little bit leery. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's just like any other foreign currency. And there's a lot of trading that goes on in foreign currency. And I think a lot of that is a lot of the most of the way that happens is it's more like gambling than anything else. But let's look at Bitcoin and those as an investment as an example. I remember when Bitcoin came out, I actually had a program on my computer that was mining Bitcoin. Oh, nice. You were mining. I love it. Very, very, you know, towards the beginning, I'm like, what, why am I doing this? This is stupid. It's really just eating up resources on my computer. I should be doing something else. So I didn't really do it. But I guess, you know, if I kept doing it, maybe since I was doing this pretty early on, I could be a Bitcoin millionaire right now, perhaps. But (laughs) cryptocurrencies are great for people who are interested in purchasing drugs sex trafficking and other illegal things, illegal firearms. Sure, because you supposedly can't trace them. That is really what they're known for right now. Now, Of course, a lot of people don't do that. But you're going to find that as the reason that they kind of go crazy is there's no entity that's really regulating the currency like there would be in a nation state or the United States. Uh, you know, we, we have a treasury department that keeps things under control. These cryptocurrencies don't have any such thing. So you're going to find out that chances are, if you're looking at it now, it's probably too late. But as an investment, I, I think you're going to have trouble down the road. And those who are rich now within cryptocurrencies are going to have trouble down the road trying to convert that to anything that is usable in in the real world. Now, of course, there are places that take Bitcoin, although I think there are fewer now than there used to be because of its association with the seedier aspects of the web. It's, it's a risk. It's definitely a risk if you start dealing with this and it could work out for you. I just think that it's something worth staying away from. But I have a friend actually who uses these cryptocurrencies. He's an anarcho-capitalist, and and it's really it's really fascinating because he actually uses cryptocurrencies to pay his virtual assistants and he's a true digital nomad he's he's traveling the world right now he's spend he's spending a month in a different city in the world and just kind of moving from place to place and totally you know try to be as free as possible from government influence he would just love it if he didn't have to have a passport but that's not really the way it works so it's just really interesting to me because he does he he doesn't actually use it as an investment he's not investing in it he's not planning on doing a bunch of like back to US dollar things he's actually paying his virtual assistants in cryptocurrencies because it's easier and cheaper for him to do so and they in turn are using it to change into their local currency and it's it's worked out very well for them because it's cheaper for him but for them it's more valuable So it's kind of an interesting way to look at it in terms of a medium of exchange for non-CD things (laughs) um, as well as CD things. 
that's using a currency as a currency and not investing in trying to, you know, convert it back into your your currency and, and make money on trades. I, I think that's a little different than than investing in cryptocurrencies. Oh, definitely, for sure. And finally, you hinted at this a little bit more, a little bit was, uh, you talked about foreign currencies, you talked about Forex trading. And this is an interesting market. I used to cover the Forex market. I used to write about it. I wrote about Forex trading for several years. And it's an interesting market because you're not actually trading currencies. What you're, and it's not truly investing if you're in the Forex market. What you're actually doing is you are betting whether or not one currency will rise or fall against another. So that's basically an option. Yes, basically. It's very, very similar. And you can actually do currency options as well. And it's just a very interesting way to do that. But if you're not interested in the stock market and you want to try something kind of exotic and alternative, you can do that. But once again, you do have to be careful because these are trading situations where you can lose very quickly. And it can be very tempting. It's one of those things that much like gambling, it can be very addictive because it's very fast paced. You make decisions quickly. You, you can win quickly. You can lose quickly. It, it's kind of, it's a very stimulating environment that you have to be involved in, in order to make this work. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't make it work. It, it's, it causes a lot of trouble for a lot of people. And I'd hate for a listener to go out there and, and to hear us talk about it and say, well, well, that sounds exciting. Let's try that. I think it's a bad idea. And I would not include it in any portion of your portfolio. Not even the, well, let's try and play with it a little bit. Well, it's your money. So do what you want to do. I just wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, it's I mean, like I said, you know, I wrote about it for several years. And it was something where occasionally I'd look at it and be like, hey, maybe I could do this. I mean, I write about it. I know the strategies. I know how to be, quote unquote, smart with it. But in the end, I just I went to it. I just was like, you know what? No, <laughs> it's just no. Uh, so let's let's talk about some do nows. So if you're ready to invest and you're and you're looking for something to invest in, uh, what are some of your do nows? I think the first thing when you, whenever you talk about investing is to know what type of risk you're willing to accept. Are you willing to lose a lot of value right now if it meant that you'd be able to have a lot more later on? What type of risk are you willing to take? Either moderate risk where you just want things to be smooth and not to have any stress and just to increase over time, hopefully increase over time. Or are you willing to see some dips as long as there are some increases in your portfolio over time. That might be a little too nerve-wracking for some people. And a lot of your risk tolerance has to do with your time frame too, because if you need your money right away, and you don't always know exactly when you're going to need it, it could be possible that the exact moment you need your money is the exact moment the stock market crashes. Because let's be honest, whenever we, we all talk about investing for the long term, we're talking about 30 years down the road, let's say, but stock market crashes, the economy crashes, not only do you, does your portfolio go down, and that could be true whether it's a stock market or real estate or even gold or it, anything can happen. Everything kind of goes down when the economy crashes. But you know, what also happens is you lose your job or even the business that you've started that was doing well, maybe because the economy crashed, that's not doing well either. And suddenly you need your money, but the moment you need your money, 
is when the value is the lowest it has been. And how are you able to deal with that? And a lot of that has to go into this question of what kind of risk are you willing to accept? So be serious about it. Be, think about it. There are quizzes online. Maybe we can link to one so that you can see exactly what we mean by this. You could either have a low, medium, or high risk tolerance or anywhere in between. A lot of that will dictate how you go ahead and start your investing journey, especially if you're looking to avoid stocks as much as possible. Yeah, and it's important to understand all of those things and how they play into how much risk you can handle. Another thing you can do is write down one idea for wealth and research it to, t- to see what it takes to invest, right? So one of the things that Warren Buffett talks about is investing in what you know. And you know one of the reasons why he stayed away from credit default swaps back in the day was because these were immensely complex financial transactions that people, even supposed people who specialized in these things and were building them, didn't really understand them. And so he stayed away from them because it was not something that he knew or understood. And so one of the things you want to do is is really research it and see what it takes. So write down one idea and research it to see what it takes to invest, what you need to know about investing, and figure out if it really does work for you and if it's going to match your risk tolerance. And finally, you might not love this suggestion, but even though you don't like the stock market and you hate Wall Street and you think everybody involved with that are all crooks, if that's what you think, or if you just think it's a bad deal, look at index funds anyway. Just look at them. See if it's something that you would be comfortable with. This isn't investing in specific companies, although it is, but at the same time, it's not. It's investing in the entire stock market as a whole. And I have to say that doing this consistently over time is going to be the best way to earn wealth over the long term. It's not as risky as the, all the other things that we've talked about today when it comes to real estate. Returns don't match the risk, not as well as the stock market. Starting a business, yes, you could start a business and you could do really well, but most people don't at least not right away. And there's nothing to say that you're going to run into lots of problems anyway when you go ahead and do that. Index funds is, it's, it's the key to building long-term wealth for most people who are listening to this podcast. And I'm sorry if you don't like stocks or if you have a problem with uh, Wall Street, and God knows there are lots of problems with Wall Street. But regardless... <laughs> I think it should be a serious option that you look into and just get started with it. That's really all I can say is I I know this whole episode is supposed to be about finding ways to get around the stock market because we hate the stock market. But the best way to do what you want to do with your money and get the most out of it is to not ignore the stock market. Yeah, I I agree completely. As somebody who is a confirmed indexer, there are some great all market funds that really do invest in the whole stock market. I like the S&P 500. It's a pretty good swath of the market. They're large cap stocks. They do reasonably well. You can earn dividends. Yeah, investing in a large swath of the market makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at the fact that in order to do well and meet your long term goals, if you invest consistently over time, you don't have to beat the market. If you just keep pace with the market, you're probably going to be okay. The reality of the situation is over any 25-year period, the stock market as a whole has never lost. 
And you're going to have days, you know, there are market events, there's going to be another stock market crash, there just is. And trying to figure all of that out can just be very draining. But the reality of the situation is that over any 25 year period, stocks as a whole, stocks as a whole, as an asset class, have not lost. So it's just sort of the way it's just definitely something you want to look into. They're easy, they're liquid, you can start with with practically nothing and start investing. Uh, And so indexing really does make a lot of sense in a lot of cases. All right, so we have a listener question. I see advertisements for systems of investing, whether it's real estate or Forex or stocks. How do I know which ones really work? Yeah, so the short answer to this is none of them. (laughs) You know, if somebody's selling you a system, let's be honest, if somebody has like this airtight system that's making them a ton of money, they're not going to mass market it so that everybody else has the system and now competes with them to make the ton of money. Okay, they're going to sell it to you because that's what's making them money. Their system isn't making their money. The fact that they're selling it to you is making them money. That's my take on it. There's a difference between coming up with your own personal system and saying, hey, I have my own rules. This is I'm going to set a stop loss and say, in my own personal estimation, this is my personal system. Like I have a system of investing. It's called dollar cost averaging. And I put the same amount of money into my S&P 500 index fund every month in my IRA. That is my system. But actually buying somebody else's system, somebody's foolproof system for real estate investing or Forex investing or whatever it is, is probably not going to work for you. And it's probably just going to relieve you of your money rather than help you build wealth. If there were a system that worked so well that it was magic, or people would believe it was magic or whatever, it just was so successful, you know, this one system, then everybody would find out about it, everybody would do it, and it wouldn't work anymore anyway. And that's only if there were such a thing. And there's not such a thing. So you don't even have to worry about it. Just if someone's trying to sell you something, chances are just stay away from it. Of course, there are tons of exceptions. You know, there are great books out there about investing that you should read. Not everybody trying to sell you is trying to scam you. But everybody who's trying to sell you something is trying to make money. And it's not necessarily making money in their investments. Just keep that in mind. There's a lot to learn from products out there, mostly books that were written over the last century. Yes, yes, the older books are the best books because all the information that you need has been shared so many times, just go to the source. Avoid systems, especially those that cost a lot of money or those that are only revealed in secret seminars that you need a password to get into or whatever the gimmick happens to be. Don't worry about that so much. Just focus on the real things. All the information is out there. Hopefully this podcast starts you in the right direction on some of these things. And hopefully we lead you a little bit in the direction of stocks, even though you may feel like you don't trust them right now. That is my take on it. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Whether or not you agree, head on over to our adulting community on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook at hashtag adulting. Let us know what is your favorite investment, as well as let us know any investment secrets that you have or questions that you have. And of course, you can always ask us questions at adulting.tv slash ask. Don't forget to subscribe to us. We are available on Apple Podcasts at adulting.tv slash iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play so that every single week you will receive the latest episode delivered right to the device of your choice. 
And until next week, remember to act like a grown-up. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. 